This is R.J. Rushdoony, Easy Chair Number 383, April the 2nd, 1997. This evening, Douglas Murray, Andrew Sandlin, Mark Rushdoony, and I will discuss a number of questions that some of you have sent in, and we're very happy to get them. The first is a very difficult one, in some ways a very obviously easy one to answer, but there are all kinds of questions associated with it. It has to do with the perimeters of genetic research. This comes from David Ingram. What about genetic research, cloning, that sort of thing? Well, first of all, we have to take a question in its broadest sense of genetic research. There is nothing wrong with it up to a point. For example, not too many generations ago, the cattle of the Western world was not uh, very healthy or nutritious. The cattle was uh, inclined to be rather lean and often sickly. Then a number of developments took place. Some men led the way in calling for better breeding practices, and this greatly improved the uh, strain of cattle, of sheep, other uh, farm animals like chickens, so that their uh, meat weight went up, their health went up, their ability to lay eggs went up. Now, from that perspective, you'd have to say genetic research is sound. At what point does it cross the line and become dangerous? A study was made a few years back in the 80s of the a matter of uh, artificial in, uh, work in the form of uh, implanting eggs and uh, fertilizing them all done artificially. You hear less about that nowadays because while it is still going on as much as ever, it does not bear close scrutiny. A great deal of the uh, work here leads to monsters. The <clears throat> uh, fetus is put to death, which is murder, and some of the women undergo hell because they've submitted to this kind of experimentation. Then There was a report recently on other aspects. Uh, for example, we've had an experiment with the cloning of sheep. Well, <clears throat> before we go into that, 
more than 10 years ago, we had with us, uh, associated with Calcedon and writing in the report, Timothy Vaughn, who had been a missionary in New Guinea and is currently in South Africa. Now, Tim told us about something which became a matter of news before long. He said that uh, cannibalism in New Guinea led to a very serious ailment, Kuru, K-U-R-U, in which the mind of the cannibals was seriously infected. Of course, something like that happened and was a relative of Kuru in Britain. Cow madness. Because the cow and sheep were being fed processed food made with beef and sheep byproducts, these animals were turned into cannibals. And the results were deadly. Pictures, films of the cows as they became uh, infected and staggered around, could not get up, are devastating. Well, their markets closed because nobody wanted to risk eating such beef and possibly catching cow madness. Now, that ban did not extend outside of Britain and perhaps one or two European countries, I don't know. The common market there may have ruled that it would be outlawed, but I don't know. Here it does not apply. And here we are beginning to find a few cases of cow madness in human beings. Peoples whose brains are being destroyed. Again, we see that tampering with nature, tampering with God's rules, can lead to problems. The same report indicated that there are fears that this may be happening in cases of organ transplants. Introducing the alien body into the body of a person can cause some very serious repercussions. So, we have now been given warnings to the effect that there are dangers here. Now, let me say parenthetically, I have not uh, spoken on the issue how valid and how true, how real is the cloning experiment that led to a sheep. There is so much deception in science, self-deception and a deception of the public, deception to get more grants. There's no reason to believe that this happened in that case. But uh, we again don't know 
what uh, could happen. Now, one of the things that can be a product from uh, a comment of a scientist in any such thing as cloning of animals is that they are an unknown quantity. We don't know what their immunities are or their susceptibilities. Can they be a focal point of new infections that uh, can spread to a great number of people? In other words, there's a great deal of recklessness here. As one scientist has said, we're going to play God. And that's what they're doing. But they're not God. So they're flirting uh, with disaster. They're treading into uncharted territory as though there's nothing but good that lies ahead. And they have no reason for knowing that. Too many of the innovations of recent years are backfiring on all of us now. Then there is the moral issue. Should man play God? And the answer is obviously no. And this is the purpose of cloning. As one scientist said when uh, organ transplants first took place, he said, this is all wrong. Instead of trying to improve people's health and discover ways whereby they can avoid heart trouble or can recuperate without surgery from heart trouble, we're exploring ways in which we can show our cleverness, our ability to play God. I'm afraid there is too much truth to that. There is a moral premise here. We are trespassing on it. Genetic research is a way of saying we are God. We can do these things. This is why they want to create artificial life. <clears throat> then they can replace God. And this is why they are for controls in one sphere of life after another, not for any assumed benefits, but for the privilege of playing God. Well, I think the dividing line is motivation of the people involved. Uh, people who uh, enter this area of, of science to uh, improve uh, the, uh, the food uh, chain to feed people if they're godly men and women, uh, will steer clear of the uh, the pitfalls because they've got some guidelines to go by. But uh, so much of science, or really pop science nowadays, is um, determined by how much money is there in it. You know, it 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 almost sounds like one is cynical when you question the motives of the people in the scientific community, but it's been so consistent over the past 
20 years in my memory that every year when the congressional grants have to be renewed, there are sudden uh, and uh, uh, cries in the newspapers and the media uh, about whether, and it doesn't make any difference what, this, what the subject is, whether it's global warming or uh, depletion of the ozone layer or whatever it is, it only comes coincident with Congress renewing the grants for studying these these uh, uh, things. And when you scratch beneath the surface, NASA did a study uh, over a 20-year period with over 50,000 monitoring stations, and there is no global warming. I mean, the temperatures are moving around as they've always done because the Earth is a self-regulating uh, entity. But uh, on average, there is no global warming. I spoke with the wife of a scientist who was uh, down in the South Pole uh, studying the so-called ozone depletion. And uh, they really released very preliminary data that turned out to be erroneous because the ozone layer is like Swiss cheese that's on the move. There's holes in the ozone layer that keep moving around. So if you put a monitoring station in one location, obviously the amount of ozone is going to change from time to time. So they, uh, all of these uh, so-called crises that are supposed to affect mankind turned out to be uh, poorly done science, uh, premature um, findings. And the, the media trumpets these uh, uh, because it sells newspapers. Now, the cloning uh, issue, as Russ just brought up, it brings a question in my mind. Over time, what weaknesses will be bred into the sheep, which are part of the human food chain? Um, what, uh, uh, for instance, uh, susceptibility to disease or the ability to carry or perpetuate a disease is going to be generated by a cloning. Uh, I think getting back to the motivation thing, if you've got godly men and women that have got, a, that have got some guidelines to go by, they're going to know what to do and what not to do. If they're you know, simply trying to improve the... Um, uh, the human uh, uh, food uh, to feed people, then uh, you know they're they're motivated by by um, you know acceptable guidelines. But uh, so much, so many people in science nowadays are motivated motivated strictly by money and the desire to enhance their their quotes professional image. Well, to me, there's nothing professional about them. I mean, they're they're right up there along with Joseph, Dr. Joseph Mengele, who was Hitler's uh, 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 experimenter, chief experimenter in uh, uh, euthanasia and uh, uh, all of these areas. And we're falling into the same trap. You know, the Western world is falling into the same trap. Uh, the uh, I think the the element that was uh, in the uh, the British situation with the cows was that they were grinding up the uh, the part of the animals that people wouldn't eat and feeding them back, which was the brains and uh, so forth, and being fed back to the cows. Well, we're specifically warned not to do that. 
you know, it's not like this is uh, sudden, undiscovered information. Uh, you know, it's, this information's been around for a long time. People at some time in the past probably paid dearly to find that out. And somebody wrote it down a long time ago. And, uh, uh, you know, we have these warnings from the past. But our scientists are so um, determined that uh, they're going to somehow overcome uh, what they perceive as the mistakes of the past or the inconclusive data of the past, uh, they've become so arrogant that uh, they're going to have somehow overcome these objections. Uh, my, my concern is the motivation of the people involved. And I have seen so much of this, uh, this grant thing. You know, there's, this country pours billions and billions of dollars into... Uh, research and to, you know, particularly they're funneling in into, into universities so that they can control the educational process. The Department of Education has become the funnel to control the university system in this country so that they can, the federal government can control what is taught, they can control what is said, uh, they can control everything that is uh, disseminated into society by controlling the universities. And they do it with the money spigot. And uh, these people who are researchers in these universities, they've become, uh, they've become slaves to the uh, federal money spigot. And I think they've given up all moral ground in a large number of cases. You know, for instance, I was thinking the other day, why is it that hospitals have to have ethics committees to decide whether or not a procedure is, uh, should be allowed? You know, if the doctors have no ethics themselves uh, or don't want to take responsibility for their actions, apparently they designate these ethics committees to take the heat off the doctors so that uh, the doctors can go ahead and do what they want to do and uh, the ethics committees become the, uh, the keeper of the, the public morals. And are they any more or less capable of making these decisions than the doctors themselves? I think not. So you got to go back to the motivation of the individuals. If they're godly men and women, uh, you know, they're, they're more liable to make the right decisions than not. But uh, people who give up that, uh, that moral imperative that somebody has to make the right decision based on uh, moral considerations and everything is up to ethics committees which are subject to no one's control. They're elected or appointed by hospital administrators whose only game is to make money. They are a money-making enterprise. And, uh, you know, morality goes out the window. I don't know how many of you have seen the movie uh, The Boys from Brazil with oh, yeah. Lars Olivier. Yeah. You mentioned uh, Mengele. Yeah. That was sort of based on his right. his life. This whole question of cloning brings up another issue. What types of people, A, who would be making the decisions about who's cloning, and B, what types of people would be cloned? Well, depraved people will want to clone uh, handsome people, pretty people, intelligent people. Mm-hmm. And... Um, their man is again playing God, and this is another form of uh, Darwinian uh, Darwinism and uh, uh, evolutionary theory, the survival of the fittest. You know, we want to produce some sort of master race. Now, of course, when they begin, they won't use that term. 
But when they find that they're able to do this, if, as Rush said, they are able to do it, then that's certainly what's going to what's going to happen. We go back to the Tower of Babel and to and to uh, Genesis chapter three with uh, man knowing or deciding for himself um, what is right and what's what's wrong. Then the sexual side. Uh, many families would rather have boys than girls. China. China is a prime example. Uh, not only in the uh, abortion, but in the genetic field, then you know if it's possible to manipulate uh, genes in such a way that we can a we can get rid of and the question whole question of sexuality. The people homosexuals talk about this particular issue: is it a genetic um, related trait or not? So there are all sorts of ramifications here, but fundamentally, it's destroying the creator-creature distinction with man deciding to be the creator. Well, I think uh, we need to uh, define what genetic uh, what, what what genetic engineering is. Genetic engineering is going into the chromosomes and actually changing the arrangement of the chromosomes um, to control an effect. And we have a chromosomes that will control whether we have blue eyes or brown eyes. There are chromosomes, they believe, which give uh, some women uh, uh, an inclination to have breast cancer. And you hear a lot about this. Have They're searching for this gene that, that causes some people to develop breast cancer or other types Down of Down syndrome, Ill. you know. Yes, no. that's a, and, an uh, additional one. And I think uh, we hit on the, the key word here. What is the motive behind uh, the, the research and how will it be used? Um, God created these genes, and he told us to have dominion uh, over the earth, not dominion over other men. The same knowledge can be used for good and evil. That's right. The same surgical skills which can save a baby's life or a woman's life can also be used to perform an abortion. Uh, the same skills one man learns to improve his business for accounting purposes can teach another person how to be an embezzler if he right. uses it for the wrong person is interfering with the chromosomes trying to alter chromosomes in an individual let's say in you or me not necessarily creating another individual mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. is that for the purpose of, of healing if uh, cancerous cells can a new a cell, that cell could be altered and reintroduced to encourage the body to reject that's a form of healing Determining what someone is going to be like or uh, a child is an extreme example of cloning. Um, another example of how knowledge can be used for good or ill. Uh, something was developed about 30 years ago where a small amount of uh, fluid is removed from a, a woman, a pregnant woman's womb that can easily tell whether the child is a boy or a girl. That is used by some people to determine whether they want to have an abortion. Mm -hmm. If a couple wants, uh, they have a boy and they want a girl, and they don't want another boy, they, they, some, some will choose to use that test to determine whether they have an abortion. It can also be used to prevent some tragedies. There are genetic illnesses which cause some babies to have a severe, not just an allergic reaction to milk, but a severe reaction to milk, which can kill them. And this is not easily... Um, this can be determined by amniocentesis. It could be used to save that child's life or serious harm. When man wants to, to use 
this knowledge, we have to remember that man is very fallible. It's nice to think, well, if we can just figure out how to rearrange a few chromosomes here, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna fix all the problems in the world. If we look at how we have taken something as simple as breeding, you mentioned cattle breeding, and how man sometimes uses breeding for wrong purposes, we can look at uh, breed, uh, breeds of animals such as dogs that are bred very often for the wrong reason, because they look pretty. We work very hard to develop certain breeds of dogs so they look just perfect, so they can be in a show and they can conform to a very artificial standard. Dalmatians have just the right def definitive, uh, well-defined spots, well-distributed. The shape of the head is perfect. The shape of the curl of the tail is perfect. And these dogs, they've developed dogs so they look perfect according to an arbitrary standard. But the fact is there's a high percentage of deaf Dalmatians because man has worked very hard to breed them in such a way that he's created dogs that are, are relatively useless <coughs> and in some cases very unhealthy. There are many inherited diseases that are very common in all the common breeds. That's why I say that the, the healthiest dogs are often mongrels because there are these harmful recessive traits tend to be bred out. And working dogs that are such as Australian shepherds that are sometimes funny looking and they aren't too similar, but they're they're intelligent because they're used as ranch dogs. Still, they're they're some of the healthiest and, and most intelligent. Man makes mistakes, and, and uh, we have to remember that. Um, now, something which we ought to bring up, which is one of the first objections that some people wrongfully bring up, if we create another life. All right. If we split an, an egg or something, and we create another life, such as you know the, the old Hitler thing from that's been kicked around for many years, what about the soul? That's really not an issue. And the whole idea of creating, um, you know, liberals or conservatives or you know uh, an evil race of men is is not really an issue because when uh, identical twins are by definition clones. It's when the fertilized egg, for some reason we don't understand, decides to split. And that's, that's why right. they look identical, because they have an identical set of chromosomes. And they're not often, identical. They're yeah. not really identical. They don't always look exactly identical. Yeah. They also, they sometimes have very different personalities, and they definitely have different souls, and sometimes different talents. So that's sort of a false issue. And it wouldn't be possible to create a super race because they're going to be very different. So um, the real issue is, I think, is man playing God? And to what extent is interfering with the chromosomes designed to benefit man? And to what extent would some use that to play God? I don't think we, could, we can say it's all wrong. That's right because we can't say all medicine's wrong because of abortion and some of the things that have been done in the name of medicine. Well, technology's not evil. Man's evil. Right. That's the, I mean, technology can be used for, for evil or for, or for good purposes. I was, when you were talking about for medical reasons, if, if these things are used, genetic research is used for, by doctors for restorative purposes, as you were talking about, to heal, that's one thing. If it's used for creative purposes, man playing God, I think that's where we should draw the line. I have no doubt that that lamb that was born was genuine. I have a textbook that's close to about 10 years old, I believe. 
described the uh, identical procedure that the newspaper described about that. And uh, this book said this is going to happen down the road because just as soon as the techniques uh, develop, we know it's theoretically possible and and before long it's going to happen. So, uh, but man can use that same knowledge to, like I say, do some very evil things and monstrous things. And what is going to be the reaction? We have to remember what evil men will use as a backup to what if we try to help this child, even theoretically, we're, we're trying to help this child, mm-hmm. and we do something genetically to help this child, and it creates a deformity instead. But we, hope, we know with abortion what the line mm-hmm. of argument is going to be. We did the best we could. Maybe now they, they will say the humane thing is to is abortion or in, infanticide, mm-hmm. you see? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so when evil men start to play God, That's all right. kinds of other arguments may start coming into play as well. Think about the idea of gun control. Go- guns aren't bad. Technology's not bad. People are bad. You're right. And if uh, godly people are involved in this, or people that operate according to godly principles, then uh, by and large they won't violate the law of God. But, but you're right. If they're evil, wicked men who have an evil ideology, depraved ideology, will use it to glorify man at God's expense. One of the problems with this type of experimentation is that man is in charge, not God. And man will clone what he feels he needs. And the results can be disastrous. For example, In the past couple of centuries, there have been experiments in all kinds of ideal colonies, utopian colonies. And I wrote about one in uh, the Chalcedon Report some years ago, and that essay is in From the Roots of Reconstruction. Some of the most brilliant minds were collected in a colony, I believe, in Ohio, uh, excellent piece of property, large uh, area of land, some very fine buildings put up, but they were intellectuals. And as a result, they had no common sense. Uh, they had not been there long when uh, a horse pulling an over-loaded uh, wagon got mired in a mud hole. So they held meeting after meeting after meeting trying to decide what the solution was. (laughs) Nobody went out there and gave a hand. They were all intellectuals. So the horse died while they were debating day after day their solution. Well, scientists with cloning will reproduce a lot of people comparable to those on that colony. They won't think of reproducing the common people unless it's to turn them into, after Plato, a slave class of workers. Well, Douglas, you referred to the ozone layer and global warming and all the extravagant statements made by scientists. 
Because science has done a great deal, there is a great deal of arrogance here. Now, much of the work of science has been due to inventors rather than professors. And we assume that the technology is the work of scientists, and it isn't. It's the work of men who are in research and development for very practical reasons and are despised by scientists. The only thing that scientists actually did produce of any major note was the atomic bomb. Apart from that, most of our advance has been due, our technological, so-called scientific advance, has been due to men working in connection with industry for very practical reasons. And this has been resented as the Wright brothers' innovation a flying machine was resented. After all, they were two bicycle mechanics, not scientists, and they never forgave them. And the brothers lived and died in bitterness at the treatment they received. And even within the past ten years, the federal government had the nerve to put out an airmail stamp with Samuel Langley's name and plane on it, and his plane couldn't fly. It crashed. Of course, after the Wright brothers, they corrected the mistakes in the uh, Langley plane after the Wright experiment. So they could say, well, Langley had the principles of flight. That's science for you. And they haven't changed at all. They're striving for power. Now, Clinton talked about a temporary ban, and it's just a kind of a temporary thing with no bite to it, on cloning research. But the experiments will continue. Nobody will be able to stop the scientists unless there's a changed religious climate in the United States and around the world that says, no more of this. Well, the, then, uh, the, uh, some wag said that the reason that the Democratic National Committee had raised all that money was that so they could donate it to cloning research to generate more liberals so they'd be <laughs> assured of winning the next election. Yes. Well, it is interesting. You mentioned, Andrew, I believe, and I think you referred to it, Mark, the homosexuals. Now, this is a boon for them because it's a blow at marriage as they see it. And it will enable them to clone what they want on order, given the kind of order they want. So, the implications of cloning research are diabolical. The men, a high percentage of them involved in it, enjoy playing God. So we have to take a stand against it and say this is morally wrong. It's going to be hard for Christians to do that because they don't believe in God's law. And since they don't believe in God's law, they believe that anything is really valid. 
I think that's one good, good if if this is feasible, it's going to be one area where people are going to fight for it strongly, and that is lesbians would love to have a baby that has no male uh, part. They do the same thing with the sheep, because theoretically it's possible to take some cells, um, the nucleus of a cell, out of a woman's body, implant it in her egg. And uh, I, I think that's down the road, because they'll say, you know, the government, nobody, no law can, can prevent this because it's a right to my body. The government already gave them that right. So that, that would be an interesting thing that might be down, coming down the pike in the future. Well, scientists have become the priests of a secular society, of a humanist society. Uh, so many people have been conditioned to look up to them. Uh, and if they have no morals or no moral compass, then people accept that, that it's not necessary. If they can bring all of these miracles, so-called, uh, uh, to fruition, then uh, they figure that uh, uh, any kind of moral restraints or uh, biblical teachings are irrelevant. And this is what science has attempted to do consistently. The, uh, the, the warning is, is that man has been so consistently through history capable of evil, you would think that it would make people wary. Yeah. And say, hey, you know, let's take a long look at this, this before we proceed, because throughout history, man has always been capable of misusing uh, technological advances. Uh, if it can be misused, it will be misused. That's almost a, an axiom of any kind of technology. Uh, Rush mentioned the, uh, you know, atomic weapons. You know, gee, what a great boon to mankind that was. You know, aren't we all better off for it? Um, th this could, this genetic thing could be the next bomb uh, waiting to go off. I mean, it could literally be the keystone to the destruction of mankind. You know, we are sowing the seeds of our own destruction. So we better take a long, long look at it uh, because of man's bad track, track record in making good decisions about the utilization of technology. I mean, the whole 20th century has been a, a panoramic of, of blood and death. That's right. Uh, uh, military and otherwise, uh, genocide, uh, all through the misapplication of technology. Rush is right. The only thing that will prevent it is um, the religious character of the people because if the last residue of Christianity that's keeping it from occurring now is erased, then uh, there's nothing to to hold back the floodgates of this sort of thing. I mean, because laws can be passed. I mean, uh, a wicked populace will permit laws to be passed to permit this sort of thing to happen. So, um... We've already permitted wicked laws oh, of to course, be passed. Of course, I mean, uh, you know, in uh, 1973 mm -hmm. and so many others. Um, so the, the answer is not... Uh, fundamentally, the answer is not legislation. The answer is regeneration. Mm -hmm of men's hearts that will lead to the right kind of legislation. Society's going to have to come to realize that 
a society to exist has to say no to certain things. That's right. And the attitude in the last 30 years or so has been everything's okay. The only thing we ban is people who say no. Yeah, yeah. And but but man should be free to do anything he wants. Now we're we're starting to to look. Is that such a good idea? Maybe there are some things that that, that go beyond the line that uh, even non Christians are beginning to say. Uh, well, the question is: is man is is man capable of internal guidance or external guidance? And the history has taught us that internal guidance has never worked. Well, that's why, of course, that's why we have civil law, because men are sinners. Uh, we don't have civil law to make men good, mm-hmm. but to keep them from being as evil as they would be if we didn't have civil law. But that's why it's the responsibility of the family and the church, by the grace of God, to stress the internal man, godliness, that way. And that's where, as Rush pointed out, self-government comes in. And where man is not self-governed, all sorts of external restraints are necessary, and, of course, that leads to a paternalistic and, finally, a totalitarian society but if you have if you have a large number of godly people then you need fewer laws and that, that of course is what the bible presupposes it's going to presuppose that if there's a godly order then you're going to need very few civil laws only those found in the in the word of god which is the way it should be in the first place yeah, we have right. thousands of them i mean you know the bible russia said that we've got over 600 laws Governing human behavior—that ought to be enough for anybody. Absolutely. You know, why do we think we got to generate three thousand more a year just in the state of California and thousands more at the federal level? That's right. I mean, if law was going to do it, we'd certainly have done it by now. That's right. We have another question that isn't one that will require too much time, and it's an historical question from Tim Rawlings in Milwaukee. What was Cromwell's motivation in taking most of the sword, Androgeda and Wexford, in his Irish campaign? His thinking, beliefs, religious motivation. Well, first of all, to answer that question, we have to recognize that uh, the rules of warfare at that time said that under certain circumstances, you could call for the surrender of a city or a fortress, and if they did not surrender within the given time, then every last one of them could be killed, and this was routinely done. Whether we like it or not, that was true. Then we have to look back at what preceded this. In the century or so before Cromwell's time, England had waged continuous warfare against Ireland. It was a brutal kind of warfare. What uh, Cromwell did was small compared to what the English and the Irish both did during that long period of warfare. It's one of the most horrifying stories ever told. And the evil from those massacres, which were not according to the rules of warfare, they were arbitrary. 
linger to this day and color the mind of all the Irish. It's one of the ugly chapters in the history of the Western world. So you have that background. Then, second, one of the terrible things that King Charles I did in his war against Parliament and against the new model army headed by Cromwell was to bring over an Irish army. Well, the English knew full well whether they were royalist or whether they were Puritans, what had been done to Ireland. And they expected the same kind of very fearful massacre to take place on a routine basis with that Irish army. The only reason why it did not take place on a massive scale was that Cromwell acted quickly and defeated that Irish royalist army. So there was a great deal of precedent, a great deal of fear on both sides. Cromwell had a a very clear-cut legal precedent in that the laws of warfare, and he abided by them strictly, did permit what he did. He also was faced with the fact that Irish campaigns in the past, because of the inability to bring them to a quick uh, finish, dragged on to the point of radical attrition of the English forces. He had to end the war or the death toll would have been greater. And so he did what he did. Now, even one Irish historian in recent years has said that uh, Cromwell was within the law in everything that he did. That doesn't mean we necessarily agree, but we have to judge a man by the standards of his day and his biblical view of things, which was that in the long run he would save more lives, Irish and English, by doing what he did and bringing the (coughs) war to a quick finish. Any reactions to that? The... Interesting thing to me is that uh, to this day you would think that was the one atrocity that ever occurred in Ireland. But when you go back and read what took place under Queen Elizabeth alone and then King James, you have to say it was a small thing by comparison. But the English hold it against Cromwell because they dislike the Puritans and the Irish hold it against Cromwell because he was a Puritan. And that was apparently his great sin in the matter because 
the death toll was not equal to things that had happened long before he set foot in Ireland and after he left Ireland. The history of Ireland is a grim one and the British were very brutal. The Irish, they felt, were a difficult people to deal with and from their perspective they were. Uh, the first conquerors of Ireland were the Norsemen and they finally gave up. It wasn't that they hadn't conquered them but the Irish scene was so volatile and the many, many Irish kings and princes would shift sides so quickly. They had their own personal warfare and the people who were your allies today, the Vikings found, could be your enemies tomorrow and somebody else was your ally and they finally said you cannot putting it in modern language keep a scorecard on these people and so they pulled out in disgust that was what kept Ireland from uh, gaining a unity on its own it only gained a unity under the English a forced unity sadly enough after the fall of Rome the great people of uh Europe were the Irish monks and the Syrian monks. Those two were responsible for Christianizing Europe, even into the north and central Europe as well. There are still graveyards in uh, some parts of Europe, southern France I know, peopled by Syrian monks with Syrian inscriptions. We don't hear much about the conversion of Europe by these two groups, the Irish and the Syrians. The Syrians for a long time had a very strong and missionary-minded church. But one of the things that happened with uh, Ireland was that it should have become united. Now, in the days of uh, ancient Greece, as we all know, uh, there were city-states, Athens plus a fair amount of farming countryside around it, then Sparta and Corinth, each its own little kingdom. And there was a good reason for that, because it was a difficult task to govern an area when you were some distance from it. It was uh, Alexander the Great who created a vast empire, but nobody was able to hold it together. And then Rome, and Rome was able to hold it together. But it took improved communications in order to keep 
the remote areas together. And uh, that's one reason why Rome built up such a network of magnificent highways. Well, Ireland never did develop any highways, and the roads were mud holes a good deal of the year, as the English found out, and lost a great deal trying to get around. So Ireland did not unite, and that made it an easy victim to the English and to its own disunity, because the various little princes of Ireland each created their own jurisdiction, their army for that area, and fought against all the others as well as the English. Their disunity was what did them damage. Any comments from any of you about that? Well, as to Cromwell's motivation, I think it was he was a guileless Christian man. Uh, you read his, his uh, public speeches and his private papers and correspondence, you get the impression that he wanted to honor God. He didn't always do it perfectly like none of us, but um, I don't think he was, didn't, was not a totalitarian at heart or anything like that. No. And I think he was a good, good man that wanted to, to honor God. <clears throat> well, there are some good books on Cromwell out there. One is by Antonia Fraser. Uh, another is by uh, Christopher Hill, which mm -hmm. is quite outstanding. But there are many older ones, and all go into this at some <coughs> length. But uh, it's fashionable in academic quarters to beat up on Cromwell and to pay no attention to the fact that these two massacres, and that's what they were, were according to the rules of warfare, and they were not as bad as some that had taken place uh, in the time of some of the Tudors. England was determined uh, for what she felt were good reasons to keep uh, control of Ireland. Now, we may not agree with her reasons, but they had their uh, justification of a sort. And it was this. They had become Anglican. They had broken with the Church of Rome. And if Ireland, being Catholic, was free then it would ally itself with Spain or France. And both uh, realms had designs on England. In fact, in uh, Elizabeth's day, it was a very present fear that uh, Spain would seek to conquer Britain. And of course, we all know the story of the Armada and how a storm destroyed them together with the faster-moving, smaller Spanish or English ships. But uh, it was a valid fear. 
This does not mean that the actions they took were valid because they attempted to impose uh, Anglicanism on Ireland, an Ireland which had been independent of Rome previously, and you had your independent Church of Ireland with its archbishop at Armagh uh, turned intensely Catholic out of hostility to the English and until recently have been very uh, pro-Catholic. Now that's beginning to change, not for the best of reasons. Well, our time is over now. Let me say, we yes, Mark, did you have a question? No. Uh, we do welcome questions. Some will be able to answer, others we won't be able to answer, but we welcome them all. We'll do the best that we can, and we appreciate your interest. Thank you all for listening.